Welcome to the CFB Winning Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. You can follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine for him. Fellas, what's going on? Nick, how was your weekend and all that stuff? Uh, not too bad. Just trying to uh, shake off a little bit of a uh, allergy season. Spring is finally Uh-oh. almost here in New England. So I uh, had, to, had to go to bed early last night, take some NyQuil, trying to shake off some uh, grogginess today. But uh, otherwise, ready to talk. Apparently, everybody in the world decided to transfer in the last uh, seven days. So uh, <laughs> there's for, for not a lot else going on, there seems to be a lot of a lot of movement at the moment, so uh, trying to stay on top of all that. Xavier, uh, you and I both very, very uh, happy to not be in the same room with Nick because he clearly has COVID, even though he's calling it allergies, <laughs> right? <laughs> either, he, either he's got COVID or they're like eight feet under snow up there. Um, are you guys cool up there with that winter weather that just all of a sudden hit? You know, we're having like 80 degree weather down here. How's everything up there, Nick? Uh, it it uh, flurried a little bit over the weekend, but uh, as we sit here, it's 57 degrees and sunny. It's a beautiful day here in uh, the major metropolitan area, Concord, New Hampshire. I mean, we hit <laughs> we've hit 104 already, so <laughs> it's not that bad today. Today the high is 88, so it's not horrible or anything but we're going to be back into the triple digits i think this weekend so you can turn it, your ac off oh yeah <laughs> nope it's on it's on all day now and it's just you know can't turn it off at night either doesn't get cold enough but uh we are going to be talking about the most important conference in college football on this show of course my big 12 home of the texas longhorns so i'm excited about that but before we get to it We, of course, got to go over some news. Like Nick mentioned, everyone is wanting to transfer over this last week, Um, starting with uh, former Alabama now quarterback Talia Tungaviola. He's in the portal, Nick. Yeah, yeah. A bit of a uh, really not too surprising. I heard some whispers of this uh, for several months now since two is going to be uh, obviously, moving down to South Florida, uh, Talia was was third on our preseason uh, depth chart. Seemed pretty likely that he was not going to be the starter with how well Mac Jones played uh, in his limited uh, playing time, starting time late last year, and then Bryce Young being the number one quarterback on a lot of people's boards in the 2020 recruiting class seemed like he was most likely to be the number two guy if he doesn't win the job outright. So Tungabailoa won his brother now being gone and and the family uh, likely to move, follow him to South Florida. There's seems to be a lot of buzz that maybe he will land somewhere in the Miami area, whether that's Miami itself or maybe uh, FIU or or even FAU or or some other uh, programs there within the state. But of course he is, uh, from Hawaii, so there's some thought that maybe he could end up somewhere out west, or I've seen also Maryland, where Mike Loxley, of course, was the offensive coordinator uh, when he signed a, a couple of years ago. So a lot of options for him, I'm sure. A lot of people would be interested to add him uh, to their quarterback room, and, and I think 
for me, if he were to, to end up at somewhere like NFIU, somewhere in a power five or a uh, excuse me, group of five conference, uh, that I think would be the most intriguing. I think he might have the opportunity to make the the biggest impact on a team at that level, uh, just based on the little that I've seen of him so far. And uh, Xavier, what you do? You have like a preferred landing spot for uh, Little Tua or Little Tonga Viola? <laughs> Uh, FAU was my first thought. It was in my initial place for him to go. It would be a place for him to to be able to stat pad, having uh, a pretty good career where he's otherwise not really done anything in college. Um, it also most uh, It's also very familiar to me to where he played in high school. He played at Thompson High School, spread the ball out four wide, allowed him to just, you know, you know, be a point guard and get assists and just to be able to dump it to each and everybody on the field. I think it would be a really great place for him to go. We all know that FAU is a double-digit win team. Uh, pretty much, you know, should be one every year. Now with the recruiting and the uh, the talent that's down there in South Florida, and also with a guy like Willie Taggart there who has FBS uh, experience at the you know at a high level with Florida State, even though it wasn't a great success, it gives you kind of that. Uh, that pedigree, at the very least, that you can also get from him as well. So FAU was like my, my initial landing spot. Other than that, um, I was thinking Miami could be cool. Stay as far away as possible from USF after what happened <laughs> with, after what we saw last year. Please, <laughs> if you want to get your career back on track, that's not where you need to go at the moment. Either uh, FAU or Miami for me, because um, I really don't think he wants to go anywhere where his family would have to travel back and forth to watch him and Tua play football too much. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I think that. Uh... I think the initial Miami idea, I just, I wasn't really into. And I think it's more because I don't know, like, Tua, you know, little Tua is obviously, or little Tunga Viola, uh, he, he's not his brother. So isn't he short? Isn't he like uh, 5'11? Yeah, he's listed at 5'11. So yeah. he's probably 5'9. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> uh, he, he, I mean, he could be 5'11. You know, I'm not going to take it away from him, but. You know, we know that, you know, you give an inch or two on those most of the time, um, at least in college football. It's kind of always been the way it's done. So uh, he I don't know if he's going to hold a job if he goes to Miami. And we know, obviously, that school has a just a blazing history of playing musical chairs, a quarterback that we hate. So uh, I like the idea of him landing at an FCS school like FAU or FIU. I think those are two. Um, pretty good options there, guys. So I hope I hope we see him at one of those. Uh, and then we had another Bama, uh, former Alabama defensive back Nigel Knott, will uh, transfer to East Carolina, and he was medically disqualified with the Crimson Tide. But uh, they also ECU also added Arkansas running back Chase Hayden, and he's got two years of eligibility. So ECU racking up some prospects here, Nick. Yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, Nigel Knott. Didn't play a whole lot at Alabama. Obviously, the like you mentioned, the medical uh, issues last year. He didn't play at all, uh, but he played ten games, I believe, in in uh, twenty eighteen. Really highly rated recruit. Uh, you know, a lot of people expected him to to have a great career. Certainly, uh, to this point, we haven't quite seen it on the field at the collegiate level, unfortunately. But hopefully, he'll get a, a fresh opportunity and a chance to go in, get a lot of playing time. And and East Carolina, in my opinion, seems like a, a program on the rise. So to get a player with that amount of raw talent, if if they're able to capture some of the, uh, you know, some of that talent and and be able to to uh, you utilize it and, and win some more games, I think would be 
uh, a great opportunity for him, hopefully, and, and for the school as well. And then uh, with Hayden, I mean, he immediately becomes the highest rated running back on the ECU roster. He is immediately eligible, has two years to play at, at you know, Arkansas has had some buzz around some of these running backs that we're seeing a few of them transfer here and there. And, and Hayden is one that, you know, has, has flashed, has gotten people excited in the past. So uh, ECU is an offense we expect to throw the football around a lot, but if they were able to, uh, you know, add a, a very talented running back into that mix, it would make them even more dangerous. And, you know, somebody like Holden Naylor's the, the quarterback there, give him another weapon to work with. Uh, East Carolina's hoping to get back to a bowl game for the first time in a little while. So uh, I, I think, you know, both of these moves certainly have an opportunity to, to pay off in a big way. If, if, you know, they miss, not a whole lot's lost for a team that's ranked 108th right now in our uh, power ratings. But if they do hit and you get, you know, guys who have, you know, 90 or so uh, ratings coming out of high school, then those guys, those SEC talented guys certainly could uh, make a big, big impact in the AAC. Yeah. I mean, I know it's, it's gotta be pain on Nick to keep up with all of the, uh, the rosters and stuff. But I, I got to say, Xavier, I'm really happy about the transfer portal and how it's been working for some of these guys to get out and find jobs, right? Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, you're talking about a kid in Nigel not who needed to pass his medical just to be able to transfer. And I absolutely love the idea that, you know, he was able to pass his medical and now he's able to play football again. Um, a kid who, like we talked about, and like I said, um, had been medically disqualified from uh, Alabama it gives them an, an opportunity to do something he loved and, and not, you know, doing it at the highest level, but doing it at all um, and giving him that op opportunity to still live out his dream, possibly. Um, same thing with Chase Hayden. I love the idea that you can go from a school that, you know, new coach, new system, you know, you may not like what's going on there. You may not have the same rapport with him. And, you know, you can go off and go to East Carolina where you go in there as a guy who can fight for a job and go ahead and once again, live out your dream the way you want to. Um, I love the transfer portal when kids, allow, when kids use it in this way and they're not just leaving because they keep getting beat at their position. <clears throat> Take myself. Um, so, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, one one thing I thought that was interesting about Hayden in particular, apparently he has never visited the school, had, has not been to, I believe really? it's uh, Greensboro, South Carolina. And yeah, and, and so it's, it's just sort of an interesting uh, sort of slant on what we're dealing with right now. A lot of these guys are moving for whatever reason, whether it's a... a medical disqualification, whether it's playing time, whether it's, uh, you know, like last week we talked about some guys potentially, you know, maybe just some scholarships are, are no longer going to be honored. And, and so it's, it's really interesting how people are, you know, choosing to, to go about it and make changes when you can't visit on campus or, or things like that right now. So it'll be very interesting to see how some of these play out. That one in particular just struck me that, that he's never, you know, never been there, but the coaching staff uh, apparently went hard after him and they've had, you know, uh, Zoom calls and, and uh, all that sort of thing. So just sort of a an interesting thing I, I came across when I was reading about him. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting. I just don't I just don't think I could, um, you know, I mean, look, I, I'm I'm obviously older than uh, all these kids on, on the teams here, but uh, I just couldn't move somewhere without at least seeing it first, you know. 
Uh, I do it every couple of years. <laughs> That's a <laughs> bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you at least know you guaranteed income comes with that. So, uh, you know, because uh, it's work stuff, but I don't know, like um, that. that's just when you're getting other offers, too. I'm sure ECU isn't the only uh, school that would have offered, but OK, sure. you know, uh, <laughs> to each his own. And then we had more transfers. I mean, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was saying, we see weird things like that all the time. Remember Roquan Smith um, committing to UCLA, but not knowing that they didn't offer his curriculum or his degree, and you're just like, you didn't know that before committing, uh, <laughs> and he ended up at Georgia. So it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. That. What did they offer at Georgia that they don't offer at USC? <sighs> I cannot remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah, give me a second. I'll give you that in a second. Yeah, I mean, that's um, it, that that's that's interesting. Uh, that that he would uh, he must have just assumed like at least that's an assumption like yeah I mean they offered this stuff everywhere right and then you find out no and you're like oh well then I don't want to be here so uh, <laughs> yeah that's kind of crazy I mean obviously uh, you know high school kids got a lot going on between uh, graduating and getting all their affairs in order and moving for the first time and you know uh, being by themselves a lot like there's a lot of growing stuff that goes on in that time in your life of course but um i don't know i think i would at least invest a little bit of time to see if they had the classes i want to take but you know that's uh that's football players for you and then uh (laughs) notre dame uh landed nc state cornerback nick mcleod as a grad transfer so he'll be available uh to play immediately so pretty good snag for nc state right nick yeah mcleod somebody that uh, played in 37 games, started 21. He's he'd been a captain uh, for the Wolfpack during his time there. And, and NC State's a, a team that has had some turnover on the roster uh, with the transfer portal recently. They had a lot of injuries last year. McLeod was one of those guys. And, and a few fairly veteran players decided that uh, they wanted to pursue opportunities elsewhere. This is one of the bigger uh landing spots that that we've seen so far and and Notre Dame has added uh, a trio of fairly you know high level grad transfer type guys McLeod's probably going to start in the same secondary as Isaiah Pryor who was at Ohio State uh is going to play safety there and and really helps bolster a, a unit that uh, really only returned one full-time starter Kyle Hamilton is a uh, was a freshman all-american safety last year so he's really really good and, and played a lot but he, he wasn't uh technically a starter uh for them last year but uh to be able to pick up a couple of guys like McLeod and Pryor I think is really really big for Notre Dame and then they also added a, a wide receiver from Northwestern uh who's played a lot of football uh but had an injury last year as well so uh seem you know everybody college football blue bloods included are are uh looking to plug holes through the transfer portal. And, and sometimes, you know, you hit it big with a guy that becomes a star, but I think, uh, for Notre Dame, most of these guys are probably just going to, you know, plug a hole, probably be a starter, hopefully, you know, contribute in a, in a good way, but help to, uh, sort of bridge the gap between, uh, some of the, you know, younger guys that they've got coming up, but, but they needed some experience and, and inject somebody who can come in and contribute right away. And I think McLeod certainly, uh, fits that bill for Notre Dame. Yeah. And, uh, Xavier likes it because it takes players away from Notre Dame, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but no, I wasn't uh, sure that you were a Notre Dame hater. I guess I just assumed. No, I don't hate Notre Dame. I hated them last year because we were playing them. But hey, they can do whatever they want to this year. They're still frauds. But, you know, uh, <laughs> to give you that answer, <laughs> Roquan Smith wanted, uh, wanted to be a business major. And UCLA told him that then he asked the school if it was available. They told him yes, but he come to find out it was only a graduate student um, degree. It wasn't an undergrad possibility. So there you go. Uh, he ah. was, so that's one of the things that reasons why he didn't end up signing with UCLA and went to Georgia. Um, well, but when we talk about NC State quarterback uh, Nick McLeod, I really like the move for him. Um, this is an opportunity to go play on the biggest stages in college football. And once I and once again with all this coronavirus stuff going on. It's really good and imperative for schools like Notre Dame, like bigger schools, to get these guys in here who have pedigree, who have played big games, to slot them in right away. You're not necessarily going to be worried about them versus a freshman or a sophomore who this is their first year playing high levels of collegiate football. You know, and he's going to step right in, probably, like you said, Nick, be a key contributor. You know, if he's not a starter, be a guy who's situational for different defenses and different packages. And you feel confident having a guy in there who's played upwards of 40 games in his college football career rather than playing a freshman who's played maybe five or six. So, yeah, I absolutely think this is a great move for him. Yeah, I mean, a pretty good one. But I tell you who had a bad day. Uh, And, Nick, you, you listed this Monday was rough for Northern Illinois. They lost starting tight end Mitchell Brinkman, uh, an offensive lineman Chris Perez, and all-MAC defensive lineman Jake Hillen entered the transfer portal. Uh, Hillen was listed as the number seven returning defensive lineman in the country by Pro Football Focus, who graded him as an 80-plus as both a run defender and a pass rusher. And the only he was the only G5 interior defensive lineman at an 80 in both categories. So uh, pretty big losses for Northern Illinois on Monday. Yeah, absolutely. And, and now you throw in that they previously lost Trey Harbison, the starting running back, mm-hmm. to Charlotte. And then they also had a, a corner uh, who was really, really – uh, solid as a freshman, Jalen McKee. So they've now lost five starters who ha- had eligibility remaining uh, since the end of last season. So not not really uh, what you want to see if you're head coach Thomas Hammock trying to, to rebuild uh, a roster there. And, and then Marcus Childers, the quarterback who started 24 games for them in, in the past, wasn't listed on their uh, spring roster, so uh, a lot of what turnover. What the hell is happening North- over there? <laughs> yeah, God, you know, it, you, you never really know. We talked about it a little bit last week that it, in some some cases uh, there could be just sort of out, outside factors, but here, you it know, it seems maybe- like that's something internal with so many guys. I mean, I, I hate to speculate because obviously we're not in the know on that stuff, but uh, it seems that just how could it not be something internal? You know what I mean? Sure. And and I wonder maybe if it's just uh, sort of like, you know, w- once a couple of guys go, uh, then it just sort of the dam opens yeah, up. People yeah, think, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, well, we've already lost a, a few starters. So, you know, Heflin being a guy who we've seen some uh, very talented, uh, very productive Mac uh, pass rushers, defensive linemen, uh, transfer in the past. Uh, Mike Hanna went from Central Michigan to Michigan last year and ended up getting drafted. Sort of used it as an opportunity to get a bigger, uh, you know, a bigger stage, prove that he could play against top competition week in and week out. You know, Heflin, it's one thing to be graded, 
an 80 plus by PFF when you're playing Akron or, or playing Bowling Green. And Northern Illinois, of course, plays higher level competition. But, you know, some of the things I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later with all the uncertainty around college football this fall, you know, maybe maybe players like this in the MAC might say, hey, if, if the Pac-12, for example, is going to only play a, a Pac-12 schedule, that's an opportunity to, to go and, and play week in, week out in front of, you know, 10, 11, 12 uh, Power 5 programs this fall. Whereas if the MAC decided, hey, we're only going to play uh, a, a conference schedule, then that's a, a completely different yeah. situation, you know, and, and you have to be completely dominant as a, a player to, to maybe catch the eyes of, of pro scouts in the way that maybe he's hoping to based on the the great season he had last year, Heflin specifically. I mean, Brinkman uh, did some good things as, as a tight end, not, not any huge stats. A lot of times tight ends, their total contributions can be overlooked. The same with Christopher Perez. I'm, I'm not 100% sure you know, with, with those guys, but Heflin makes me think, okay, this is a guy that had such a great year last year, has had a good career to date. Maybe he's looking for a bigger opportunity, maybe like a Mike Hanna had uh, last year, a couple other players in the past, looking for a P5 opportunity, especially, uh, I would think, with the uncertainty around what college football will look like this fall. Yeah, I mean, th- those are great points to make. Uh, I, I specifically like the, uh, you know, the thought process behind the, you know, uh, I scouts aren't going to look at me if I'm only playing the Mac, uh, you know, schedule. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Xavier, are you are you on board with uh, these moves by the NIU players? Absolutely. I think that you have to maximize your abilities when you're in college. You know, you have to show that if you're a guy who can ball out um, at NIU and you think you can really do it at the high P- P- P5 level, then by all means, leave. Um, you know, I think that we have to understand that these kids are trying to get a job just as much as, you know, the coaches who are coaching them trying to keep their jobs. And so, you know, we can't be mad or upset when a kid from NIU decides to transfer to a major P5 or even a mid-level P5 to get more exposure, to get more TV time, things that you won't get, you know, playing at Northern Illinois and and just to better their future. And I am all for it a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm, I am too. I think these are good moves. And then we had a couple other moves here. Uh, Nebraska quarterback Noah Verdal uh, announced his transfer to Rutgers. He has two years remaining, and I, I read that they really like him because he ran the no-huddle offense um, mm-hmm. you know, at Nebraska. So uh, good transfer for Rutgers there. They've been looking for a quarterback for a while. Cincinnati wide receiver Trent Cloud entered the portal we're not sure where he's going to go yet. Uh, Arkansas wide receiver TQ Jackson is going to transfer to SMU. Uh, he played three games with the Razorbacks, and he's going to have all four years. That's, that's great remaining. for him. And then a former Kentucky defensive lineman, Kevin Butler, uh, is going to return to his hometown of Toledo. So uh, any thoughts on those moves, Nick? I, I was a little surprised at Vedral landing at, at Rutgers. Uh, not that Arthur Sikowski or John Langan had been great <laughs> with they have the Scarlet Knights right. the last couple of years, but, <laughs> but both guys, I mean, Sikowski, you know, sat out the, the last eight games or whatever it was last year and uh, was, uh, you know, considering a transfer after Chris Ash got fired. But 
Uh, Vedral, he, he's he's an interesting player. I mean, this will be his third school. He's he was at UCF before, as we talked about uh, prior, and and sort of the comment I saw that he made after making this change, he said he was ready to be the guy somewhere. And while I certainly understand that, I wouldn't necessarily expect this to be that situation where you're going into a, a, a you know you're going into a quarterback room that's got over twenty starts in it already split between two guys, one of which started the majority of games last year, and both of them are sophomores. I mean, Bedrill's a, a, an athletic guy. He uh, had to step up and uh, sit on the bench for Nebraska and, and the uh, Big Ten basketball tournament uh, mm-hmm. before everything got canceled. They they sort of called him up and, as sort of a emergency uh, type player. So he, he's somebody that's uh, certainly athletic enough and, and uh, smart enough to pick up a new system in a new place and, and what have you. But I was a little bit surprised. I, I'm, I'm skeptical that he's for sure going to be the guy, but, you know, uh, certainly hope for the best for him. The, the Cincinnati one was interesting to me because it's the second Cincinnati wide receiver who we had penciled in to be a starter uh, decide to, to transfer this offseason. And and the second guy who's had some level of starting experience. Not Cloud doing their quarterback any favors. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Ritter's trying to get drafted. So Oh, sure. Yeah, and, and they've got a, a very, very highly talented or a highly touted true freshman coming in, one of the highest G5 recruits in, in a long time in Evan Prater. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because there's opportunities – for playing time, you would think in that receiving core. So to see a couple of guys who've started before decide to to leave is uh, a little bit eye catching. It's it's not, in my opinion, something we need to think. Oh, what's going on at, at Cincinnati quite yet? But it, it's just maybe something to keep an eye on because there certainly is some movement there. Uh, SMU, we've talked before. They they get uh, a lot of interest from. Uh, guys who enter the transfer portal who are from that Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, and it's, so far, it's worked for them. You know, last year worked out pretty well. TQ Jackson, somebody that uh, Arkansas has got a lot of talent at the receiver position. SMU maybe a little more opportunity to make a bigger impact. So sounds like a good move for him, for sure. Yeah, SMU just gets all the transfers, I feel yeah. like. Right, Xavier? Yeah, I mean, I love the move for him, though. I mean, you're leaving a team that's probably going to be mostly run-heavy in Arkansas and giving yourself as a, as a receiver to, to ball out for the next four years at SMU, you know, three to four years. Uh, you know, he's a four-star, 6'4", 197. He played at uh, Jefferson, Texas. So, right, again, Nick, by Texas, uh, by Dallas-Fort Worth kids wanting to go back and playing for SMU. And it's just an opportunity for you to be in an offense that's going to feature receivers. Don't get me wrong, but Sam Pittman isn't the most uh, receiver-happy guy. He's going to run the football more so than not. Um, I think that ultimately it works for him, and he's going to be part of an ex- what should be at least an explosive-looking offense um, at SMU. So I really like the move for him, and SMU continues to rack up on the transfer portal. All right, moving down here to uh, other news. I mean, we had a big-time recruit, Zach Evans, uh, the number one five-star recruit in the 2020 class. Uh, he chose uh, TCU to go to yeah he had a host of other teams looking at him AM, florida uh auburn tennessee ole miss were all in on him and nick he ends up at tcu so 
Um, I mean, I don't like it, but uh, that's because <laughs> Texas is going to be playing TCU a bunch. Uh, but what, what do you think of him accepting, uh, you know, TCU? Because I think a lot of people were surprised by that. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise, and and uh, he's somebody that was an Under Armour All American. You mentioned it, the highest rated running back recruit in the country, and and uh, had had some uh, immaturity issues. We'll say had been suspended twice as a high school senior in Texas, including the state championship game. Uh, had a really wild recruiting saga where he actually. Uh, signed unexpectedly and, and secretly with Georgia, uh, but then was, uh, uh, I believe, for three weeks was uh, signed to Georgia and uh, during the, the winter, so after the first uh, signing day, the, the uh, first signing period. But then he asked for his release, asked you know for a family uh, medical situation, uh, seemed like he wanted to get closer to home uh, in Texas, uh, which is why Texas A&M made a lot of sense in January. There were some others. Uh, basically, everybody in the SEC, it seemed like, was after him uh, at that point. And, and in recent weeks, Auburn, Tennessee, and Ole Miss, like you mentioned, were sort of the ones that got a lot of the the talk surrounding him. But, uh, you know, the, the home state team ended up winning out, and especially one that had a lot of carries to offer, probably. I mean, TCU lost two senior running backs off of last year's squad and then they've got some talent coming back and Amari DiMicardo and uh Diamarqua Foster I probably screwed that up I apologize <laughs> but uh you know those those guys DiMarcado we've seen a little bit he's played 17 games but uh nobody else on the the roster has played in more than three at the running back position so Evans comes in he's already uh the highest rated player from a VGR plus from our individual player ratings uh, standpoint. He, he's an 84 right now. And, you know, the guys that I mentioned are, are high 70s. So he's somebody that's going to come in, probably have an opportunity to be the guy early. And I'm sure that appealed to him and, and TCU being close to home in a situation where he's probably going to get a pretty heavy workload at, at you know, at first it was surprising, but I think after taking a little bit closer look, it, it makes a lot of sense. Xavier, do you like this move for Zach Evans? I think it's the smartest move he could have made. Uh, I think staying at home, uh, going to TCU, going to a place where he's going to be the featured guy and he doesn't get lost in the shuffle is was going to be the, the most uh, imperative move for him. Um, any kid with kind of, you know, behavioral issues or discipline issues, Oftentimes, the worst thing for them to do is go to these big programs where they may not end up becoming the starter right away, and then they're kind of just left to their own uh, to their own thoughts and ideas while the coaching staff is dealing with this five star or that five star, um, and they're kind of just allowed to kind of do whatever they do. This is how they get in the most trouble. Um, I think going to the CCU where he's going to be the guy on campus, uh, as you said, Nick, he's the highest rated player to ever sign for TCU. I mean, it's going to be an opportunity for him to be the big man on campus and keep him on a straight and narrow because he will be the guy that's most focused um, on throughout the year. So I think this is a good move for him. Also, he's staying home. I think that's a great move for him. That's why I originally thought he was going to go to A&M instead. Uh, but TCU overall, I think it's a really good move for him. Uh, good program for character guys. They don't have too many character issues throughout the program. And haven't, am I, am I crazy to think that? No, 
Um, so I think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking TCU is one of those teams that I'm always thinking like a Florida or, or even the Georgia at times that has had multiple kids get arrested all the time, things of that nature. So um, I think TCU is a, is a good landing spot for him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're not perfect, but, but nobody is. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And nobody's undefeated by the long arm of the law. That's for sure. So, um, uh, interesting spot and I'm excited to see him, uh, get rolling at TCU, just not against my longhorns. Um, so at, we had to, we seemingly had some positive news last week and then we get some, uh, weird news about the state of California as far as COVID goes and, uh, the universities, uh, Cal State University system, which includes San Diego State, San Jose State, Fresno State, announced it would cancel the majority of the in-person classes for the fall semester. And that announcement came following comments from the Mountain West Commissioner, Craig Thompson, who said, we will not have college athletics until campuses are open. So uh, they, they came out with another statement that said, no decisions on athletics have been made. Uh, so there's that, uh, you know, front speak and back speak. And then we had the NCAA stating it will not require all schools or sports to begin on a uniform start date. And the Pac-12 has had internal discussions about playing an 11 game all conference season if necessary. And the quote from Chip Kelly was things change and we have to be able to adjust to that. So nothing that was said in the last 24 to 48 hours directly impacts us playing in September um, and uh, they may not have classes in the fall and that might impact obviously all of the Pac-12 and Alabama has already already begun looking for a potential replacement opponent if you if USC is not available to play the season opener which was scheduled to happen in Dallas and um, you know the other hand uh, there are states that are ready to go. Xavier and I, we're ready. Arizona and Georgia. Uh, Florida doesn't seem to care what happens. So uh, there's states that are rip-roaring and ready to go here, Nick. Um, what do you think about all of this most recent developments as far as the COVID situation goes in college football? Well, and we, we haven't uh, talked really at length about this sort of thing. And, and for the most part, I think we are – our thought has been to sort of operate as if everything is going to happen as it normally would. And, and we would sort of adjust when anything becomes official. But this I thought was, was worth mentioning. Just it's a little bit confusing. First of all, a lot of people uh, saw the Cal State University system and immediately thought USC and Cal and UCLA. And then those, those schools are not actually part of a, Cal State system. So it is San Diego State, San Jose State, Fresno State, but it's also some FCS uh, level teams like the uh, Sacramento State is one. They're in the big sky. So it's it, it certainly, you know, going to impact major programs in the fact that, you know, FBS level for a few, but Fresno State, for example, plays or is scheduled to play uh, Colorado this year is also scheduled to play Texas A&M. So if there's some sort of situation where they're not going to be able to, to feel the football team in the fall, along with where we would expect everyone else, then there's certainly going to be some juggling around of, of schedules. I mean, San Diego State is supposed to play uh, Toledo, for example. You know, that that's a, a geographical uh, uh you know, there's going to be some travel involved, and, and a lot of the things we're, we've been hearing recently is that, you know, perhaps this fall, uh, 
we try to limit travel when it comes to college football and, and things like that. So I uh, thought it was worth bringing up one to, to maybe clear up if, if there were some people that got the wrong impression, thought that at first we were talking Pac-12. The Pac-12 has sort of held off on making any official announcements or statements, which is probably the the smart thing to do. I mean, it is only May. We still do have a little bit of time. And we don't know exactly what no the, way. What You're the supposed fall to panic is. Everybody, Nick, you know, everyone knows that. Come on. Uh, so it's, it's good to, you know, I, I've, I've for the most part, uh, stayed away from talking about uh, this stuff at length because uh, well, we boring. have time. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's, and, and, you know, it's more <laughs> fun to talk about who do we expect to be in the, uh, the all conference teams, but uh, you know, things, things are happening and, and it, it seems like we take one step forward, one step back. It depends on what day of the week it is, depends on what week it is. And, and so I think we all just need to sort of be patient and, and let things play out. But uh, I thought that, that what you said, the, the comment from Chip Kelly uh, was a good way of putting it. You know, we've heard some things the last 24, 48 hours, but nothing that directly impacts what's going to happen in September quite yet. And, and, you know, there's still plenty of time, even if somebody does make a, a statement, you know, we're not having classes or we're not going to do this or that. There's still time to change one way or the other. I don't think it makes sense to say we're playing no matter what, you know, I, I think that, that everybody uh, should perhaps, it, it's difficult. We all want football back. We all want also to be safe. So it, it's, Difficult to be patient, but I think it is important also to, to be patient. But, you know, professionals, that's a, that's a different thing. In Arizona and Florida, if, if uh, they're going to sort of invite everybody to, you know, play uh, Major League Baseball or, or NBA, whatever it is, in those states, and they can work that out with the unions and, and everybody involved, hey, I'm, I'm all for it. College football is a... a different animal college athletics as a whole is a different animal so i think that's certainly to be patient but uh you know hey if we can get pro sports back uh sooner rather than later um i'd certainly be interested in watching so uh be interesting to see how it all plays out yeah i mean xavier it's um you know i don't want to call it crazy right now but it's it's just nothing is nothing is even close to being uh official or anything like that so it's just kind of all uh, all, all up in the air right now, right? Yeah, I mean we're in May, so I mean let's not get too far ahead of ourselves right now. Um, and like Nick said, you can always backtrack, and nobody's gonna be mad if you backtrack and go, yeah, we can play college football this season, or yeah, we'll, you know, and, and things of that nature. I don't think anybody at this point, at this juncture, really is putting too much stock into what people say. I hope um, while we're all kind of just figuring out what's going on um, as states are reopening, as states are still remaining closed. We all just have to continue to watch and, and, and see what ends up happening. Um, you know, college football is one of those things that is probably not the first thing on people's minds, uh, but is definitely not at the bottom of the totem pole either. So just, just continue to watch what happens. Um, ultimately, I think, you know, we can stay positive. Um, and I think we have to wait until like July, August before we get real word on what's going to happen with the season um, this year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little annoyed that, uh, like they're already coming out and saying stuff about it because there's just like, you know, like you just said, it's May. We don't have yeah. to make, I know that decisions are going to have to be made sooner rather than later. You know, uh, it's not February anymore. I get that. 
um, and we're getting closer and all that stuff. But let's, uh, you know, let, let's just let, let's relax a little bit. You know, no, nothing has to be answered within the next week. So uh, right. soon, yes, but next week, no, not not really. So uh, and I, and also, you know, someone hit me up for uh, CFF rankings and I was like, I'm not Nick. I don't have them yet. So I, I'm not there yet. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm just finishing up my NFL draft rankings and my IDP rankings and all that stuff. So we'll we'll get there. Um, but uh, I, I I'm hoping and my fingers are crossed that we're going to have um, a return for all the schools. I don't know if I expect that, though. You know, um, do you guys expect uh, Nick just like, you know, sitting here May 13th as we're recording this? Do you expect all the schools to be back for college football this year? Or do you think some will just sit out? I, th- I think the, when the, when the NCAA, when Mark Emmer came out and said uh, that, that there won't be a uniform start date or that, you know, that he's not going to mandate that there's, everybody has to start in the same week or, or within the same number of days. Uh, that led me to believe that, they're probably going to be uh, some patchwork things going on and, and they're leaving it up. The NCAA wants the conferences, wants the individual schools to, to make those decisions, uh, which to me makes sense. I mean, on the one hand, you know, we think college football, man, it would be great if there was a commissioner, if, if they were all under the same umbrella, if it didn't operate so piecemeal, but, on the other hand, I mean, this is a very large country. You've got, I mean, the, the three of us are about as spread out as, as you yeah. could possibly be. And, and so, <laughs> you know, schools where I am, and it's not even uh, 60 degrees on a regular basis here. If there is something to, you know, when it's uh, super sunny, when it's really warm, whatever, that that makes this thing more difficult to spread. If, if that's true, I, I don't know all the details, but, you know, that makes me think, I might not, you know, Dartmouth, my, my local school, isn't uh, maybe going to be ready to play when Georgia or Arizona are, you know. So I, I think there certainly, or, or, you know, Boston College is an hour down the road. It, it seems to me that we might be operating under uh, just some, some differences, uh, temperature being one, but, but just the way this thing reacts in different places. We, we still don't have our minds completely wrapped around it. So I think there will be some places that feel comfortable, whether it's uh, politically or medically to, to uh, operate, but there will be other places that have uh, people in charge that have different opinions on the matter and, and have different you know feelings as to what's best for where they are. So I, I think there will be some conferences that decide, hey, we're going to do just a conference-only schedule, whether that's the SEC because they can open up and do it, whether it's the Pac-12 because they decide to wait and maybe do something. I've, I've seen some rumblings about maybe they'll uh, do that in the spring. So who knows? I mean, I, I, I feel uh, optimistic that we will have college football in some form. Yeah. I I'm not mm-hmm. optimistic that it will be 130 teams playing between the last week in August and the first week in December as we have scheduled right now. I'm going to operate as if that were the case. You know, in our team right. profiles, it's it's got all that uh, in the case until we hear otherwise, until we hear things are are rescheduled or canceled. But the just all the differences and and sort of the chatter and the 
you know, smoke that, that comes with, uh, you know, when, when there's smoke, there's fire, that, that sort of thing makes me think that it's going to be different. Don't know what it's going to be, but it's, it's going to be different in some way. And I think probably uh, some parts of the country, some conferences playing and others not or not playing at the same time probably is probably is what I would expect. And if it's weird and unexpected and everybody hates it, we know it'll happen in 2020, right? That's <laughs> yeah. just the way this I, I got a little bit excited out. about the Pac-12 just playing all 11 teams. That that kind of seems interesting to me. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I tell you what I like is I like that uh, there's a possibility to have just some type of football in the spring that matters. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Like, I, I don't like it because, you know, it wrecks some stuff for, uh, you know, specifically uh, college fantasy football. You know, if you're uh, getting rid of the entire Pac-12, that kind of blows. But, you know, it, it's it's what's happening in this current climate. So, um that's just uh, that's just kind of how it goes. But I, I would love to have some football in the spring. That's not the XFL. You know, it's not that I dislike the XFL. It's just mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how long it lasted. And unfortunately for them, they didn't really get a fair shake this time. You know, uh, it, you know, and that's that really sucks because it seemed like people enjoyed it and everything, but uh, didn't work out. So just to get us some some football in the spring. Uh, would be pretty damn fun. Uh, I'm excited about it. And, uh, you know, makes uh, football relevant all year long, too. So if it already wasn't to some people. Yeah. Um, but let, let's get in. I, I can't wait anymore. We got to talk about <laughs> we got to talk about the Big 12 here, boys. And uh, Nick, you know, I'll let you kind of lead the way here and let us know who's the all conference uh, Big 12 team in uh, with VGR plus. Yeah, and the the last couple of weeks uh, put out some polls on Twitter about you know who should be the uh, all conference quarterbacks, running backs, and receiver. Like I said, I got uh, was a little under the weather this week, and then I also forgot, so Memory didn't lost. didn't do the didn't COVID, do the, by the way. polls this <laughs> <laughs> this week. Uh, so apologies for that. But uh, start with the the Big Twelve offense. Uh, as we've done in the previous two weeks with the SEC and, and the Pac-12, uh, we took a look at who were the highest rated players at each position by our VGR Plus player ratings. And, and at quarterback, it makes sense. Sam Allinger is a uh, 100-rated uh, player, Texas quarterback, so that he would be the, the highest rated quarterback in, in this league. Uh, running back, Chuba Hubbard is also a 100-rated player at Oklahoma State, arguably the best running back in the country coming back in 2020. Uh, Puka Williams at Kansas, that one surprised me a little bit. He's a, he's a 95-rated player. He's a junior, has been productive, has, has uh, certainly you know racked up good yardage totals. Uh, I was still a little bit surprised that he was the second-highest-rated running back according to our numbers. But uh, at wide receiver, uh, it got a little bit more interesting because a second Kansas player, Andrew Parchment, was actually the third-highest-rated wide receiver. That's a good production Parchment has. He does. I feel like we talked about him almost every single week on the uh, the ITL CFF uh, show on Saturdays. I feel Mm -hmm. like we mention him among the free agents like almost every week. Yeah, and and as you know, uh, Puka Williams, they would run him uh, often, but also they would fall behind 
mm-hmm. every week and have to throw a lot to, to try to catch up. And so Parchment was uh, certainly able to, to rack up some good yards. Schultz, uh, Stephon Robinson also was, was a decent receiver as well. So Kansas has some interesting pieces. I, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to be any good, but uh, I, I think that, you know, from, from a skill position standpoint, uh, they, they've got some interesting pieces, but uh, the other two receivers on, on the uh, highest rated list, Tylen Wallace, I don't think is a surprise to anybody. He's a 100 rated player, Oklahoma State receiver who was leading the country in receiving uh, when he went down with a torn ACL last year. But the second uh, highest rated receiver probably, I mean, it certainly surprised me a little bit. Brennan Eagles, the junior wideout at Texas, is uh, over a 90 now. He's he's very, he was very highly rated coming out of high school, um, had some productive games last year, did, did some good things. So he's actually the highest rated receiver, uh, according to our numbers, on the, the Texas roster um, and uh, has an opportunity to, to put it together and have a, a really solid year this year uh the tight end iowa state's got a couple of all big 12 tight ends charlie kolar is the one that uh has uh, probably had the biggest impact makes sense that he uh is the highest rated as far as vgr plus goes and then the offensive line it it worked out fairly well this time uh by position uh in, in the past uh the last two weeks we've had pretty much all tackles but uh there were two tackles two guards and, and a center the the tackles uh, Samuel Cosme at, at Texas, probably uh, in the mix to be the second overall uh, offensive lineman drafted next year. Uh, could have gone pretty highly this year if he had gone out as a redshirt sophomore. Uh, on the other side, right tackle, Adrian Ely at Oklahoma, uh, very highly rated. He's done some good things. Oklahoma's probably going to have, uh, in my opinion, and, and as far as our numbers go, the, the best offensive line in, in the league. Uh, and one of the top units in, in the country. Uh, they've also got the highest rated center and, and an all Big 12, all American type center in Creed Humphrey, who's probably uh, the favorite, I would say, to be the first center selected in next year's draft if he decides to come out a, as a junior. At the guards, Xavier Newman at Baylor uh, is uh, experienced and, and has been. Uh, a mainstay on that offensive line uh, started 19 games has, has done some good things interestingly enough and and uh he didn't really get get mentioned anywhere else but just jumped in my mind as i'm looking at it. baylor tried to redshirt i believe newman was one of them last year they tried to redshirt two offensive linemen and save them for 2020 they were able to do it with john carlo valentine who started nine games and, and has played in 12 He's back as a uh, has an extra year because he only played in four games last year. I, I believe Newman was the other one. They they tried to do it with him, but uh, got in some injury issues and and had to uh, keep him uh, in the lineup. But uh, they were they were trying to do some interesting things at, at Baylor, as we talked about before. And then uh, the other guard, Jack Anderson at Texas Tech, who uh, has had some injury problems. He was he was at a large uh, portion of uh last year um got an upper body injury in in week five and missed the rest of of the season but he was somebody that was an all big 12 type uh guard in 2018 or uh yeah 2018 so i think there's probably a chance that he emerges as a an all big 12 offensive lineman again all right so how does your uh vgr or how does your all conference team 
uh, compared to the uh, VGR Plus team on offense? There's a lot of similarities. I, I also chose Ellinger. I think that he's... How could you, know, you not? I, I think yeah. so. I mean, we could look at the end of the year and, and maybe uh, Spencer Rattler is is the next great Oklahoma quarterback and puts up, you know, Heisman finalist type numbers. It could certainly happen. Brock Purdy has been very, very good. And as a junior uh, at Iowa State, I think that he could put it all together and, and be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So I, I wouldn't argue with anybody that thinks that he, you know, is, is deserving of a mention. Spencer Sanders, I, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about him. He's got all the weapons around him. He's got running ability. And, and if he can stay healthy, going to have a very good season as well. But I think Ellinger, you know, if you're building a, a short list of Heisman Trophy candidates, uh, you know, to, to five names or so, he's probably going to be on that list. I mean, he's somebody that has been highly, highly productive. He started 32 games. Texas has got talent all over the place. And, and it seems like they are geared up to have a, a really, uh, you know, in my opinion, and, and, I might get some flack for this, not not from uh, the two of you, but from from others that you know think, oh, everybody every year is always hyping up Texas. Well, this year might be the year that it's they're worthy of it. They're See? a top fifteen team in our in our <laughs> rankings. Uh, they have a talent edge in every game, according to our uh, overall talent edge uh, component, which is new. They just barely by less than a point over LSU, uh, their scheduled week two opponent. So Texas has the most talented team on the field in all 12 of its regularly scheduled regular season games. So uh, if they're able to capitalize on that, you know, Sam Ellinger is going to have a lot to do uh, with that. And, and so I, I could not uh, go against him as, as a passer, as a runner. Uh, he, he can do it all. And, and he's just one of those great, college quarterbacks i i think that he's in in line uh assuming all is well to have a, a you know his best year yet perhaps in in 2020 so i i think he was the no-brainer uh chuba hubbard uh, obviously you know yeah. he's breakaway speed he's he's a 2000 yard type rusher uh, surprised a lot of people by coming back for his junior year. Could have gone early, scored 21 touchdowns last year, averaged over uh, six yards per carry. Um, you know, it, it's it would seem probably difficult to put up 2,000 yards and, and 20 touchdowns again, but I think that he's certainly capable of, you know, 1,515 and and. That's going to be up there among the leaders in, in the conference. I decided, though, to go with Kennedy Brooks at running back instead of Puka Williams. I think Brooks, partly because Trey Sermon is now gone, uh, he should get the vast majority of the carries. He, he already sort of emerged as as the main guy last year, ran for over 1,000 yards, only six touchdowns. But uh, he's he's in line to get a heavier workload, I think, this year and and. Uh, partially with that, I don't expect Rattler to run nearly as much as Jalen Hurts. I mean, Jalen Hurts ran over 200 times last yeah, year. Yeah, 20 rushing and, touchdowns, too. So. <laughs> right. So I, I think Brooks is in line for 200-plus carries um, and probably, you know, 1,500 yards and, and double-digit touchdowns sounds about right. Uh, my receivers, I kept Wallace, but I decided to go. I, I feel Oklahoma needs representation, I think. Charleston Rambo is the most likely 
guy to to step up and be the number one receiver with cd lamb gone with a couple of those uh, i don't seniors. need representation but <laughs> i i think charleston rambo deserves it too so i i think so i mean they you know lamb is gone lee morris nick Besquit is gone Jaden hazelwood has the the injury he seems like the most likely guy had 700 yards last year and and ever 17 plus per catch uh i think this could be the year uh, that TJ Vasher puts it all together at Texas Tech. So I chose him as my This is it, right? Third. Isn't this his senior year? It is. And he's six six. He's he's you know, he flashes are always there. Flashes are always there. Absolutely. He he's somebody that's had over five hundred yards each of the last three seasons. Uh but uh, he got in the doghouse a little bit last year, but but from what I've read uh, he's really turned a corner and, and stepped up to, to become a, a leader right now. And hopefully that will translate. Uh, I think Basher could certainly be a thousand yard receiver type guy. He's, he's got a six, six frame. He's been able to put a little weight on as well. So, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that Alan Bowman can stay healthy at quarterback and, and Basher can, uh, reach his full potential this year. Uh, on the offensive line, I, I stuck with the same five. I think that that makes a, a fair amount of sense. I, I know there's certainly other good offensive linemen in this conference that are worthy of a spot, but uh, felt that those highest rated guys were, uh, you know, a decent five to stick with. And then for an all-purpose player, I tried to go a little bit out of the box. Tristan Ebner's who I, I settled on, I, I thought about, you know, somebody that is uh, a return type guy, and, and there are players like that. Uh, Kine Nwangu at, at uh, Iowa State is somebody that's been an all uh, Big 12 type returner. Uh, Joshua Youngblood's been an all Big 12 type returner. But I wanted to, to find somebody that played sort of multiple roles in an offense. I think Ebner could potentially be that guy. He's, he's had to share the load with Jamichael Hasty and John Lovett. The last couple of years, Hasty's gone. Love it still there, but Ebner he got a lot of passes, got a lot of looks in the passing game. And and Baylor, they hired uh, who, who's the former North Carolina head coach, uh, Larry Fedora, is yeah, their new Fedora. offensive coordinator. And then they have a passing game coordinator they brought in from LSU. Dave Aranda, the new head coach, of course, was there. So this is purely you know speculation on my part, but I, I'm thinking about the LSU influence and could Ebner sort of carve out a role. I'm not saying he's Clyde Edwards Elaire, but you know, the fact that he's been somebody who's been used in the passing game and of course is a, a running back capable of of taking handoffs and things like that as well. I'm I'm hopeful that they'll get, you know, creative with how to use Ebner. I think he's somebody that maybe could take a step forward in twenty twenty as a senior and and if an all purpose type role uh, works out. I, I think that could be a, a great fit as well. I think he could return kicks, um, has a, a little bit of kick return experience as well. So somebody I, I just thought, you know, uh, could be a piece that that maybe has more potential than we've seen so far if the new coaching staff sort of uh, utilizes it maybe to the maximum of his uh, potential. Xavier, what do you have for the Big 12 all-conference team? Yeah, so offensively, um, I was shocked that I was the only person to have uh, Dirk Kerstetter on there. Um, this is a guy who PFF has ranked as a top three returning offensive lineman um, coming into the 2020 season. 
Um, another one that I have on here that I do not believe you guys have is Tevin Jenkins. Well, look uh, right across from where you have Tevin <laughs> Jenkins. Right. Yeah, I was like, I, I don't want to step over you, so I was like, let's make sure I don't do it. Uh, so, um, Scratch that, but going on to uh, the reason why I didn't put down Jack Anderson for Texas Tech and actually did go with Bryce Bray was the fact that Jack Anderson is coming off of a shoulder injury. I don't think that that will be something that uh, is a positive going forward. I think that's something that, as far as being an offensive guard is concerned, you need that power from that part of your body and him not having the ability to test out that shoulder really without having a spring um, and uh, an offseason workout plan where he's allowed to kind of make contact. That'll be something that I think starts him slow, which will uh, not have him on the all Big 12 offensive team coming into next year. Um, Tariq Black at receiver, uh, the transfer going into Texas is somebody I think is going to do an amazing job. Uh, I think Sam Ellinger is going to have to have his number one receiver, and I think that's going to be Tariq Black going into the year. Um, I think that this is a kid who did not get the not near as many touches as he should have at Michigan, and that was mostly due to the fact that Shea Patterson sucked. Um, and I think that now with, with a competent quarterback and an offense that's going to spread out the ball, he's an athletic freak. I think he's going to have m- more than enough opportunities to make plays. And as long as he makes them, he's going to be a guy who absolutely finishes um, on the All-Big 12 offense. Um, and then lastly, Spencer Sanders, honorable mention for me. I love Oklahoma State coming into this year. He brings back his two biggest offensive weapons in Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace. I think that when you take when you bring in those guys, especially because Chuba Hubbard is another guy who's a weapon in the passing game, you have to think that he's a guy who can definitely uh, make something happen uh, and make and put up great numbers going into this year. Um, and just because I really like this kid, and for some reason I have a soft spot for Kansas, uh, I love Puka Williams. Uh, I think you know he's a guy who's going to get the ball a lot. He's Kansas's best player, period, point blank. And I think that they're going to try and maximize his worth this year. Um, they didn't put him at kick return and punt return last year um, like they did his freshman year. I think he goes back to that position and has a really, really uh, amazing year, which may see him leave at the end of the season and uh, try his luck in the NFL draft. Uh, I mean, I, I like all the picks so far, and the reason I didn't take uh, Tariq Black is because of his injury history, you know, and Mm -hmm. the fact that he's coming into Texas and we don't know about when practices are going to get ramped up properly and all that stuff. So transferring to a new school and having injury issues is why I didn't go with my own guy. So that is the reason there. And I thought I didn't put Kerstetter on there because I just think Kasumi and Jenkins are far and away the best two tackles. And I went two tackles, two guards and a center in here. I have uh, Josh Rivas, who neither one of you mentioned out of Kansas State, uh, who's a big-time guard for them, and then the center from uh, Texas Tech, Dawson Deaton, I think is a pretty strong one as well. So those are two guys you haven't mentioned yet. And the other guy that you guys haven't mentioned, because I have Ellinger uh, from Texas, obviously, at quarterback, and then Chuba Hubbard and Kennedy Brooks, the same running backs that Nick has. I have Tylen Wallace and Charleston Rambo. All three of us have Wallace. Nick and now, oh, and all three of us have uh, Rambo as well. But my third wide receiver was Eric Ezukanma from Texas Tech. And if you have not watched him play yet, he is an absolute monster. He is gigantic. All they got to do is get the ball in his hands a little bit better. And uh, he is going to have a huge year, I think. And I think him and Vasher, those are really the two I was deciding between. And I feel like. The reason I didn't go with Vasher is because he's had the chances to do it and hasn't done it yet. And Ezukanma just started uh, for the first year last season. So I'm looking forward to what he can do in his second year. We all have Charlie Kohler at Iowa State. 
Uh, the dude, what didn't he start out a quarterback, Nick, and move to tight end? Uh, you know that that could be. I, <laughs> I know they've I feel done like that. He played before. quarterback in high school, maybe, maybe that could was be. what it was. But I remember him moving and having su- success. It might not have been from quarterback. It might have been another position. But he was great. And Youngblood had three kick return touchdowns last season. So yeah. it's just <laughs> really right. hard not Pretty to incredible. pick him. I I got to the sheet first. So it was one of those where <laughs> I got him first. You know, you guys yes. could have picked him too, uh, but I understand uh, going with different guys. But I think Youngblood has to be the dude as the all-purpose player as far as kick returning goes. So uh, tell us about VGR Plus for defense this year, Nick. So defensively, uh, same same thing. Highest rated players, and, and then like in weeks past, uh, this is not a starting 11. It's four linemen, four linebackers, and five uh, defensive back. So there, there are a lot of good players to choose from. And I still had, even with the sort of extended roster had, had some tough, uh, decisions to make, but, uh, on the defensive line, our, our four guys are Jaquan Bailey at Iowa state was injured a large part of last year, but was incredibly, incredibly productive. Uh, previously, uh, fortunately enough, he, he was able to redshirt last year as a senior and will be back for a fifth year this year. He's a 100 rated player, uh, best on the, the defensive line, according to our numbers, uh, tied with Ronnie Perkins at, at Oklahoma. But Perkins, as we've mentioned in, in previous shows and others probably know, is looking at a, a potential six or so game suspension in 2020 unfortunately so he's Oklahoma's best pass rusher one of the more talented defensive linemen in the big 12 but unless something changes we're probably only going to get about a half season from him uh Wyatt Hubert at Kansas State uh and then a newcomer Arkansas State Defensive lineman uh, transferred to Baylor, William Bradley King. Uh, incredibly, incredibly productive, all Sun Belt type player. Uh, is a 97 rated player according to our numbers. So Baylor got a, a very good one there. Linebacker, Caleb Kelly at Oklahoma missed most of last year with injury, uh, but he's a 100 rated player. He's been highly productive. At Texas, the pass rusher, Joseph Osai. Uh, expect a lot of big things out of him. Garrett Wallow at TCU was an all-Big 12-type uh, performer. And then Mike Rose at Iowa State, just a, another you know solid linebacker, solid uh, defensive player for the Cyclones. Uh, in the secondary, Trey Brown, the corner at Oklahoma. Uh, Caden Stearns, the safety at Texas, is a 100-rated player. B.J. Foster was a little bit disappointing last year, had some injuries, but he's uh, highly rated as well. First team all Big 12 for us. Uh, Brendan Riley uh, Hines at Oklahoma. Another guy, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas, Oklahoma. It, it seems a bit odd because we saw both defenses give up a, a lot of yards, a lot of big plays in recent years. But, you know, they're very talented players and all of them could step up and, and do some good things. Somewhat similarly, Demarcus Fields has played a lot of, uh, a lot of football for Texas Tech. He's been able to rack up some production points and, and raise his rating into our top five among the Big 12 as far as VGR Plus goes. But, you know, all those guys, even though they've played on some defenses that have struggled uh, in the Big 12, should be no surprise. But all are capable, I think, of uh, having an all-Big 12-type season this year. I didn't change up a, a ton. I, I kept Bailey, uh, the defensive lineman from Iowa State. I think when healthy he is – among the best in the conference and, and potentially 
you know, could be an All-American type player if he's able to return to his his full, uh, you know, what he was before uh, the injury last year cost him the majority of, of the season. Darius Stills, a nose tackle at West Virginia, uh, very good. Couple of couple of Stills at West Virginia are, are capable of being on this list. I went with Darius uh, Hubert also, and and I moved Osiah. I know he's technically a linebacker, but he, he sounds like from from what I've heard, there's a potential for him to play sort of a hybrid role. You know that that edge rusher that we They've always been doing hear that more. Yeah, they, sure. They, they've been doing that, you know, uh, three three five more and, and stuff like that. Sometimes it's four two five, you know. Uh, so it's been like the position is weird. So I'm with you on moving him. That's fine. But Xavier did it last week, so I figured, you know what? I, I'm going to follow <laughs> his lead. Yeah. Bump a bump a guy who might be a linebacker more often than not uh, into my defensive line because there's there's a Xavier's lot. Xavier's of- a trendsetter. He so is. I've always said that. <laughs> there, there's a lot of linebackers to like in the league. I mean, I, I took Kelly off, even though he's a 100-rated player, partly because of the injury, but partly because I wanted to highlight Orion Vance at Iowa State, who was, you know, talk about a productive pass rusher. He's a guy that had six and a half sacks, nine tackles for loss, kind of came out of nowhere, like a lot of Iowa State players tend to uh, at uh, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I did not put him on there no. because of that name. Like well, the dude absolutely should be an all pack, uh, an all Big Twelve uh, player. But I saw the name and I'm like, no way, no, no. way. And talk about a, a former quarterback who has gone on and become a, a very solid uh, linebacker. He was all Big Twelve last year. I'm an Ogbombaminga. <laughs> it's from OB, Oklahoma State. Uh, excuse me. O G B O N G. So Ogbong, and then uh, B E M I G A. So Bamiga. Ogbong Bamiga. I guess it's not that hard. I guess if you. I just saw how many letters it's and intimidating I was intimidating. Like, no way. But, yeah. But uh, great, great player. Former quarterback. Former safety is has uh, developed into a very solid linebacker for Oklahoma State, and they've got a couple of really good ones. I kept Wallow at, at TCU, and then uh, Terrell Bernard is going to have to uh, be the leader of the Baylor defense. Excellent defense last year, lost a ton of players. He's only one of two returning starters, uh, and he, he's going to be in line to, to fill up the stat sheet, I have to think, for uh, Dave Aranda and that new coaching staff. In the secondary, I, I kept Stearns. Uh, but everybody else, I, I changed it up a little bit. I went with Avery Johnson at Iowa State uh, as a corner. I, I uh, was very impressed with the things that he did. TCU has, uh, according to PFF, we've, we've enlisted them several times when making these lists, mm-hmm. but uh, these two guys, Darius Washington and Trevin Maring, are the two highest-rated safeties in all of college football coming back according to PFF. So I uh, decided that both of those guys would certainly be worth a mention. And then uh, another Oklahoma State guy, Kobe Harvell Peel, had a huge year last year, uh, safety for the Pokes. Uh, he, he filled up the stat sheet, did a, a lot of great things, and uh, had, to, had to make sure to include him on, uh, on my list. Defenses are always tougher, and you have a couple differences here, Xavier. Yeah, so I, first and foremost, I have uh, 
Dante Stills as well as Darius Stills. Um, he, as well as his brother, both had seven sacks last year. I think that has to account for something, and I think those two are going to be one heck of a duo um, at the tackle positions uh, for West Virginia this season. I have Eli Howard. He's a weird story. He's going to be a sixth-year senior coming into this year um, after registering at North Texas, transferring to Texas Tech, and then registering again in 2016. He didn't see the field until 2017. Um, you know, and, and so really this is going to be his senior year somewhat, and I think that this is going to be an opportunity for him to really shine. Uh, he had five sacks last year for Texas Tech. I think he's a guy who takes that next step um, in a defense that's really going to need him this year um, uh, at the defensive end position to make uh, havoc in the backfield. I also have Malcolm Rodriguez. I mean, I'm sorry. You put up 103 total tackles in a year, you end up on this list. Um, you know, I think he's just going to get better at that. He's probably going to be a guy that we see in the more one, you know, 120, 130 range, um, which is astronomical uh, for for linebackers. And I think he's going to make a, a, an added step uh, to his um, to his case to being on this list. Um, when you go to the secondary, I did not go with like cornerback, cornerback. I just went with the best. <laughs> everywhere uh i also had caden stearns but i also put in a guy named adrian fry now he was a uh big 12 all-american his freshman year when he played corner and they moved him to safety last year due to some injuries um and uh a new personnel as well and he struggled a bit now nick hit it right on the head i think with our darius washington and trayvon morig being back there at safety he's going to be able to move back to corner maybe he's moved uh into the slot and uh, I think he will show that he's, once again, a guy who could be a, an all-Big 12 selection um, in that position. Uh, Trey Sterling is a guy that I absolutely love the more and more I read about him. This kid really reminded me of how uh, LSU used Grant Delpit last year. Uh, he played 251 snaps in the box, 242 snaps in the slot, and 229 snaps at free safety. Essentially, he's playing everywhere. Um and when you have a guy like Kobe uh, Harville Peel back there, it gives him an opportunity to get uh, to see the ball more. When you have a guy that dominant, people are going to try to stay away from him. Uh, and they're going to try to attack guys like Trey Sterling. I think that they're going to figure out that they can't attack him as they get later into the season. He's a Swiss Army knife on defense, especially in the secondary, and I love him a lot. Uh, and then, yeah, that's my list. Uh, for me, I got a couple differences here. I went with Huber and Darius Stills. Darius Stills a little bigger than his brother, the nose tackle uh, out of West mm -hmm. Virginia. And then uh, I picked two Sooners on the defensive line. I think Jalen Redmond and Ronnie Perkins could both uh, move up even more this season, and they're both uh, high sack guys, six and a half uh, for Redmond, and I believe the same uh, six for Perkins, and they both had a lot of tackles for loss, 11 for Redmond and uh, 13 and a half for Perkins. So they're, you know, not racking up a bunch of uh, tackle numbers or anything, but getting good pressure. And that's that's just the plays that they made an impact on. That doesn't even count pressures and stuff of that nature. Um, you know, right. Linebackers are almost too many guys to pick from. I felt, like. <laughs> you know, um, uh, and I feel like this was the hardest conference as far as defense goes. So really, um, you know, label these guys here. I went with Osai, of course, from Texas. Uh, Mike Rose out of Iowa State, big time tackler as well. Not as many as Malcolm Rodriguez, but pretty good uh, and uh, a nice team leader for them. Uh, Terrell Bernard from Baylor, of course, and Garrett Walwo uh, from TCU. And then my secondary. Um, was a little bit different. I had uh, Mooring, of course, from TCU. Uh, I have a couple Texas guys in here. I went Caden Surds, and I think Deshaun Jameson is going to have a much bigger year this year. And I took uh, Zach McPherson from Texas Tech and Raleigh Tejada from Baylor. And I just, like, 
are you guys do you guys respect the Big 12 defenses a little more after looking through the players and uh, Xavier of course I start with you first on this question yeah I, I do I and I give them I've always given them some respect because I feel very sorry for them that they have to play four wides every week you know running like that could be very taxing but at the same time looking through the numbers and, and looking at their production and seeing how uh, explosive in some of these players are yeah it's definitely giving me some more respect for the big 12 that doesn't mean they still play defense but it's giving me more respect for the individual players themselves and Nick, I mean, you're always you always speak respectfully anyway. But I don't <laughs> don't don't think I can't hear the disdain in your voice when you talk about Big Twelve defense. I'm just kidding. So yeah, no, I mean there there are a lot of very talented players in, in the conference, and it's, it's interesting to me because as I'm going through some of these these lists, and and part of the reason I wanted to include a team specifically for VGR Plus is because sometimes players do get overrated and and some of it has to do with the way we've calculated production points we've talked in in previous episodes about some of the changes i've made and one of those uh had to do with defensive players and and because we were seeing some big 12 uh defenders specifically you know corner safeties uh linebackers that were just racking up huge tackle totals partly because their defenses were so uh, were so bad. And so some of those players were getting experience and were, you know, racking up uh, ratings in the 90s and up towards 100 when maybe they didn't necessarily deserve it. I mean, Demarcus Fields, I, I think he certainly is a talented player. He's had a very good career, has started over 30 games. Is he really a 94? rated player or has he just played on such bad texas tech defenses that he's he's been the best of a group that that struggled a lot and right. so he's put up decent stats so that that's something mm-hmm. i i struggle with from time to time and and players like i mean we we all put uh, at different points a, a texas tech player uh from the secondary i mean three different guys got you know fields mcpherson and fry all got mentioned here and then i thought you know linebacker rico jeffers was somebody that uh was was certainly worth consideration jordan brooks went in the first round of the draft exactly that's exactly what i was going to say so so there there are you know there are players who might play in defenses that struggle, and Xavier, of course, made a, a good point that they're, they're playing very good offenses and offenses that spread the ball around and play at a, a fast pace. And and you know it's difficult to slow those types of teams down week in and week out. But uh, professional talent evaluators are are respecting these guys at least somewhat we've seen oklahoma guys get drafted we've seen texas tech guys get drafted and and you know i i think that there is talent on the defensive side of the ball in this league and and i thought the linebackers were very very difficult there were a lot of defensive backs that that i thought were worth consideration oklahoma state similar has pretty much every uh you know all their their top five guys are are all very good um, and, and could could perhaps put together an all-Big 12 type year. So I do think there's talent. I think that there's certainly, uh, you know, we should have respect for, for a lot of these guys. And, and fortunately, it seems like a lot of experienced and, and productive players are back this year. So perhaps uh, we will see the, the Big 12 maybe take a step forward defensively in, in 2020. Was there anyone that uh, didn't get mentioned on either one of these lists 
that um, you feel like is going to have a, a solid year or could have been on this list. The only one I, I can think of off the top of my head is Brees Hall, the running back from Iowa State, I think is uh, is he's a stud. So I think he Agreed. could end up on this list as well. It was tough for me to put uh, Kennedy Brooks over him, but Brooks just had such a big finish to the season. I felt like he had to go in there. Anybody else, Nick? Yeah, Brees Hall was the, the first that came to my mind. I think that the receiver group has the potential for somebody to, to step up and become a big name. Sam James at West Virginia did some really good things last year. Oklahoma, there's always a chance that, you know, they could have two or three guys put up huge years. I think Theo Weiss is, is capable of, of a big year, and they have a transfer from Marshall, Obi Albiallo, uh, who could, you know, step up and, and become a big-time playmaker as well. I really like Malik Knowles at Kansas State. I'm not sure he's going to get – uh, enough, you know, receptions, targets, that type of thing to put up big numbers. But I think he's a really solid player. And I've, you know, gushed before about Kyle Pitts, the tight end at Florida. Malcolm Epps at Texas gives me very similar vibes to, to Kyle Pitts. He's a guy who's played receiver. He's a big body, 6'5", 230. He can move. He's somebody that's going to be a matchup problem at the tight end position, it sounds like he's going to play tight end uh, solely this year after sort of splitting time a little bit. I know they've got Kate Brewer coming back, but I think that Texas is going to put Malcolm Epps in a position to uh, really, you know, have a, a big year. As I get frustrated a with tight the tight end ends. flex type player. I get yeah. frustrated with the tight ends at Texas because they just don't use him that much. So he's got to get field time, but he's got to do. You know they've got a new uh, new coordinator, new coordinators yeah. on both sides of the ball. So we'll see. I mean, I uh, the, the Mike Yursich was at Ohio State, right? So they they didn't use the tight end a ton, but I think if you've got a weapon like that, at least my hope is, uh, you know, if I was sitting in his chair, I would try to to get yeah, the ball. You don't use the weapons, and you get fired. You know, and right. and Epps wasn't used last year, so you're absolutely right about that. So uh, anybody yeah. for you, Xavier? Do guys, this is kind of just a general question. Do we what do we think Spencer Rattler is going to do this year? Um, because like Nick said, he may be the, the next guy for Oklahoma for the next two to three years. Uh, but do we do we really see Spencer Rattler coming in his first year and excelling to the heights that we've seen some of the quarterbacks who have come in for more of a one year basis, um, in, in a different type role? I think he's certainly capable of it. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of him, I watched. Uh, watch him at the end of the game against South Dakota was sort of his his longest stretch of of uh, what I've been able to see just in, in quick uh, rewatches of games. Um, he's very talented. I mean, he, he's the the players at Oklahoma rave about his command, about his accuracy. He has a very strong arm. He is athletic. He's not athletic to the extreme that we saw with Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray, but uh, he's, you know, in that short uh, appearance against South Dakota, he looked to take off and run pretty quick. And and I'm sure that they will sort of coach that, not coach it out of him, but, but hopefully he won't take off and run as quick as he, as he wanted to in that first appearance. Uh, I think he's, he's in line to have a very solid freshman year. 3,000 plus yards passing, 30 something touchdowns, probably three or 400 rushing yards, that type of thing. I don't, I'm not sure if we're going to see what we've seen the last three, four, or five years out of Oklahoma quarterbacks, but I think, you know, maybe as a sophomore, he, he puts up 
those type of numbers. I think there might be a, a, a small uh, learning curve, but mm-hmm. he's as talented as they come, and, and that system is uh, – we haven't seen anybody really you know, stop it in, in large stretches. So uh, I, I think we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. And from what I've seen from him specifically, you know, he, he's very talented, very capable. Uh, he sucks. No, I'm <laughs> uh, I, I think I do feel like he's going to boom or bust. So okay. I, I think if he if he's going to pick it up and go, you know, there's just not a lot of wiggle room, you know, uh, playing for Oklahoma because there's talent. Uh, there's other talent at quarterback. So he needs to get in there and get it going right away. And if he doesn't, then um, if he doesn't, then I think that he's going to get replaced. So I think it's uh, it's going to be like the first four games for him are going to be super important. So, um, you know, boomer bust player who could easily be the uh, all Big 12 quarterback. I I think the talent is 100 percent there for Spencer Rattler. Oh, God, I hate saying that. Uh, But I I think it's 100 percent there for for Spencer Rattler. But is he going to be able to put it all together? I think is the big question. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's it, guys. I think that's everything for this week. Hopefully uh, we get some more answers uh, sooner rather than later. But like we said, it's May, you know, uh, uh, as far as when uh, teams are going to start practicing and uh, things start getting back to normal and all that stuff. But what's on the docket for next week, Nick? Next week, we'll take a look at the Big Ten and then any news and notes between now and then. All right. So next week, it's the Big Ten. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.